highest of heights to the depths of the sea. And the children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and with what shall I make atonement, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. And so he said, what, what, Whatever you say, I will do for you. Uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. When David heard the trouble between Israel and the Gibeonites was because of an attack against the Gibeonites by Saul, a chill probably ran up his back. He knew they were the people especially wrong for Saul to attack and kill. In the days of Joshua, more than 400 years before David's time, Israel swore not to harm the Gibeonites, a neighboring tribe. God expected Israel to keep its promise. God also expects us to do the same with others today. Saul's crime was not only in killing the Gibeonites, but also in breaking this ancient and important oath. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. We're covering and looking at the life of David, and we're coming close to the end of David's life. And I'm really going to miss um, David. You know, it would be a lot of fun once we finish Second Samuel to actually go back to First Samuel again and do another pass, maybe a little faster. But I don't know that um, we wouldn't do that, of course. But it's certainly a wonderful a couple of books. There's so much in there to learn, isn't there, about God's grace and how he dealt with his servants. And, and you know, remember that that's part of the reason uh, that the Bible is given to us um, for many reasons, but for one at least to to think of uh, all the different things that God's servants have been through and his people have gone through. And there, there, there are moments where everything is going well and also there, there are times where they were really struggling in sin. And, and just to know that God is faithful regardless of, of, of any circumstance that we, make, we might go through, uh, even things that we bring upon ourselves. God is such a gracious and merciful God. And he's always been that way. And he'll never cease to be that way because he's good. He's a benevolent God. He, aren't you glad that you don't serve a God that is out there in the universe? And some people think that God is like this, that he's just this power out in the universe who's just angry and, and just wanting to step on sinners and just step on them and just squelch them and send them to hell just, just because he feels like it. See, that, there are churches that preach that kind of gospel. And to me, that's not a gospel. That's bad news. That's not good news. I don't know. What, what's the word for, instead of gospel, for good news? What is it? It's just, I guess it's just bad news. Um, it's bad news. But see, that's not who God is. And one of the great encouragements I get is to see a, a, a character, a real live person like David. 
and to know that in spite of all of his shortcomings, in spite of his sin, that man is in heaven. And is it because he deserves to go to heaven? No. Is it because he has faith in a God who forgave him and loved him? And and David had faith in the promises of God. That's the reason that David's in heaven, in spite of his failures, his many failures, which are on display. And I love, again, that the Bible is that way as well. It doesn't sugarcoat those things. It tells us these things. Because if it didn't, how would we be comforted? Because every one of us in this room knows that we failed and come short of the glory of God. And even as Christians, we still fail and come short of the glory of God. And so our performance is only slightly part of it, really. But it's only after the truth of what he has done for us already. That's what secures us to glory is our faith and trust in him, what he did on the cross. And as a result of that, as a result of that worship that Jesus demonstrated on a cross nearly 2,000 years ago, as a result of that worship, I too get caught up in that. And I'm like, Lord, I want to be like you. I want to live a life that is above reproach. I want to live a life that glorifies your name. And aren't you with me in that tonight? Isn't that what we all desire? It's a good thing because we, we love Jesus Christ, and I'm so thankful to be in his beloved so glad to be in the church. But So as we look at this um, last part of... Um, as we look at this last part of Second Samuel, we're going to look at chapter 21 this evening. And we've only got four more chapters to go before we finish it and get into 1 Kings. Uh, but Second Samuel, this chapter, 21 through 24, are really referred to as a historical appendix to David's reign, and they're not necessarily in chronological order. Not necessarily. And in fact, of all the books in the Bible, the uh, first and second Samuel have suffered uh, more corruption textually, and, and if I'll just explain what that means. The original documents were such that they were um, somewhere in such bad shape that they, it was hard for the translators to translate them. And the thing that suffered, I think, the most was numbers. Uh, we've already talked about this as we've gone through Samuel. Numbers have been, a uh, whether it's 50 or 500 or 5, you know, or 30 or 300 or 3,000, those things have suffered corruption because in the Hebrew, just one little dot or, or, or little, little marks can mean the difference between 30 and 300 or 3,000. And if, uh, if the text is in bad shape, and um, that, that has an effect on it. But thankfully for you and I, that doesn't really affect the doctrine of the Bible, does it? It doesn't matter to me whether it's 30 or 300 in some cases, or 50 or 500, because the doctrine of the Bible is what's important, and, and I'm glad for that. And so it has seen a lot of textual corruption, and, and we're going to see one example of that tonight. We're also going to look at some themes in this chapter. The, the, there are, I'm sure are many, than, many more than what I'm covering, but I'm just going to cover the big ones. And that is just the importance of keeping vows. You know, when we make vows or oaths or promises, these things are important to God. And we ought to take promises, oaths, vows very seriously. When married couples, when we go up on the platform and we... Um, we uh, say our wedding vows, those vows are serious. 
And God holds us responsible for those vows. You never think of it like that, do you? Because a lot of people get up there and they just say, promise to have and to hold for sickness and health and for better or worse till death do us part. Kiss the bride. Cake. Right? And we don't really think about a lot about that, but it's very important, these oaths, these vows that we take. I would encourage you to start thinking differently about vows. Now, can God forgive you if you break a vow? Certainly he can. But the Bible says that it's better for you not to even make a vow than to make a vow and break it. And so in our culture, we're very lackadaisical about it, but we ought not to be. If we make a promise, we ought to keep that promise. We need to be men and women of our word. We need our yes to be yes and our no to be no. And, and that ought to be how we govern our, our lives with one another. And secondly, the second theme we're going to see tonight is just the fortitude in finishing off the Lord's enemies, and specifically the Philistines. Because after we get through this chapter, you're not going to see or hear much about the Philistines again. David and his men take care of these Philistines. And so we're going to see that uh, in this chapter. And we're not going to hear much more about them. So having said that, let's open our Bibles if you haven't already. Let's read. We're just going to look at the first 14 chapters. We're going to look through the whole chapter. But let's just read the first 14 verses. And now remember, David has already come into Jerusalem after his exile, after his son Absalom had deposed him from the throne in Jerusalem. And David went into exile, if you remember, and finally the tribe of Judah and Israel, they finally bring him back, and then there was a revolt. Uh, One of the men of Benjamin, a man by the name of Sheba, led a revolt, and finally he was uh, killed, and uh, now David is back in his land. Things are still a mess, and um, and so let's read what it says here. Um, It says, Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, Year after year. And David, notice, inquired of the Lord. I'd have you underline that. David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, and he said, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. And so the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. And now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Remember that, because that's very important. And the children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you, and with what shall I make atonement, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. And so he said, what, what, Whatever you say, I will do for you. And then they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us, and he's speaking here of Saul. Now Saul at this point has been dead, is dead, right? But as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that he should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the the Lord in Gabeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath, notice, the Lord's oath, that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And so the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth. Now this Mephibosheth is different from Jonathan's son. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, 
the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, that name really should be Merab, and we'll talk more about that later, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholathite, and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. And so they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. So then David took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. And so he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged, and they buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the tomb of Kish, his father. And so they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, notice, God heeded the prayer for the land. God heeded the prayer for the land. Now, as we read this, you may think that this is toward the latter part of David's kingdom or at the latter end of David's reign, but it's really not. Uh, For some reason, uh, the historian who wrote this uh, evidently put this piece of information at the end of the book. And uh, many believe that the event that were, uh, especially those first 14 verses uh, with the Gibeonites, um, that this event with the Gibeonites preceded chapter 9 of this book. And so we'll look at that in chapter 9 of this book because of David's comment that he made in chapter 9, verse 1, about whether there was anyone of Saul's family left that he could show kindness to. So why don't you just turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, which is in this book. Just go back a few chapters to to chapter 9. And so, again, we believe that this chapter, these first 14 verses specifically, at least, were... That history really belongs chronologically somewhere either before chapter 9 or in that close vicinity of the events of chapter 9. And here's the reason why, and I think this will make sense to you. In chapter 9, it says, Now David said, and this is after he had come into his kingdom and after Saul had died, David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because Jonathan and David made a covenant that they would be good to each other and that David wouldn't wipe out his family and wipe out the tribe of Benjamin, etc., etc. And so they made a vow to do that. And so, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when he had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul, of whom I may show kindness, of, show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of, uh, of Jonathan who is lame on his feet. And so he's speaking of Mephibosheth. It tells us in the rest of that verse, in that section there, that it is Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. And so when, when he made the comment in verse 1, where, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? The reason he said that is because 
this passage that we're looking at in chapter 21 tonight really belongs here because after what we're going to see in this chapter is that seven of Saul's sons are going to be put to death. And David is going to allow it to appease the Gibeonites, and we'll find out why that is shortly. But those seven men, those seven siblings or or sons of Saul were killed, but one was spared, and that was Mephibosheth. And why Mephibosheth? Because of David's oath that he had made with Jonathan. He wasn't going to kill his son. And besides, he was a helpless guy anyway. He was lame in his feet. He didn't have anybody to help him. And so David even brought him into his own, uh, allowed him to eat at his own table. And we've already looked at that. And so we believe that this chapter, especially these first 14 verses, are really chronologically supposed to be put in that place. And I think if you read that, it'll make a lot more sense to you what we're going to be reading tonight. And so let's go back to chapter 21. Now it says, There was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. Underline that if you haven't already. He inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered. Notice, David inquired and God answered. And I love that because when you and I pray, we can expect an answer from God. Sometimes it's silence, which means not yet. (laughs) Believe me, and I know this to be true in my own life, and I'm no different than you. We're all the same in this. That when God is ready to speak to you, he will speak to you. He will make it very clear to you. If you have a willing heart, he will make sure that you don't miss what he wants for you. If you're willing, he will make sure of it. But David inquired, and God answered. And he said, why are we having this famine, you know, year after year for three years? And God answered and gave him the answer. The famine is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. He killed the Gibeonites. Now, this particular incident is not recorded in the Scripture anywhere where Saul had done this, but evidently he did do it. Otherwise, the Lord would not have spoken, right? Some believe that this event of Saul killing the Gideon, Gideon, uh, Gideonites, Gibeonites <laughs> occurred around the time of 1 Samuel chapter 22. You might want to just make a mention of your, in your margin, 1 Samuel 22. And this was the time when he murdered the priests at Nob. Remember when David was fleeing Saul, one of the places he went was to a city called Nob where the ark was. And Abimelech, or Ahimelech, the priest was there and 85 other priests, and they served. And David went there, and remember he was given the, 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 the sword of Goliath. It was there behind the, uh, behind the ephod there in the, in the tabernacle, wherever they were keeping it at that time. And Saul heard about it, and because he hated David so bad, he knew that there's been some conspiring between Ahimelech the priest and David, even though that wasn't the case. But when you got a madman, he, he's not thinking rationally. So what does he do? He goes and reasons with him, doesn't he? He goes and he tells him, you know, tell me what you said. No, he didn't do that, did he? He killed him. He was so angry and a rage against David that he wanted, to kill any, he wanted to kill David and anybody associated with him. And that's exactly what he did. And we will look at this a little bit later, but we believe that this, this time that um, that that Saul killed the Gibeonites was probably around 1 Samuel 22, and we'll look at that a little bit later. 
But we can tell as we look at this, I had you underline, David inquired of the Lord because whenever David is, is in a good place, he inquires of the Lord. And there were moments in his life when he was running from the Philistines that rarely did he call upon God. And yet there were other times that he did. And this is a good thing for David to, to do, and it's also a good thing for you and I to do. To inquire of the Lord. To really ask him. Let him be a part of every, every part of your life, every decision that you make. He delights to be part of your life. That's part of the relationship. That's part of the relationship. I, want, I would like for you to write down a handful of verses. So if you've got a, a pencil or whatever, or you've got your phone and you want to write them down, or you can listen, re-listen to this message again. Um, the first one is, I'm going to give you five of them, and I'm going to give you to them for a reason, and I'll explain afterwards. 1 Samuel 23, verse 2. 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. Now in 2 Samuel, chapter 2, verse 1. And in 2 Samuel again, chapter 5, verse 19 and 23. And finally, in 2 Samuel 21, verse 1. And why did I bring those up? Because we're going to see David inquiring. This is really a chronology of David inquiring of the Lord. We'll, we'll know that in uh, the very first one, in, in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, this is when uh, David saves the city of Keilah when he was on the run from Saul in exile. He ends up saving a city from the hand of the Philistines. But it says that when they took David, they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. And they are robbing the threshing floors, which is their, their source of food. They, they thresh wheat, and, and so they would, they would take the wheat and they would do this with it, and the, and the chaff would blow away, but the grain would fall to the ground, and the Philistines were coming in and waiting for them to do all that and then robbing their, their food. And so David, being very indignant, he took matters and, and helped them. And notice in verse 2, it says, I'll just read it to you, you don't have to go there. It says, David inquired of the Lord, and he says, Shall I go up and attack these Philistines for what they're doing? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So with that mandate, God has given to David everything he needs. He doesn't need anything more but just to go and accomplish that thing because God has already given him the victory. Don't you love that? When God tells you to do something, do it immediately. Don't wait around. If he says, I want you to do something, do it. Be crazy enough to just obey and put your questions aside. Put your what ifs and what if, you know, I don't know that that's going to happen. How am I going to do this? Just go. Just go and watch what he does. Just go and watch what he does. Because if he didn't, if he, if he told you to do something, he wouldn't tell you now and expect you to do something a month later or a year later. Because he could meet you at that time too. So listen to the Lord's voice. And it says that the Lord says, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And notice...
That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.